Good morning, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that song. Um, it's a beautiful song that they were listening to. Um, but the reason I wanted you to see that is not just the song. It's because of the guy and the girl that, that are sort of responding to it. The guy's name is Leo, and um, it kind of interfaces with what I do and this passage and what God's up to. Because Leo, just over a year ago, uh, he's a musician, professional musician, had a very small YouTube channel where he would listen to songs and respond to them. Just over a year ago, he uh, decided to, for some reason, to listen to Christian music because he's not a Christian. He has a Catholic background, Mexican heritage, but uh, he's not a Christian. And he he listened to some worship music. He expected it to be a bit flat, a bit tame, a bit uh, bland. And he was shocked. And he and what he does is he listens to the music and he gives his immediate emotional response. So some of the songs he was listening to at the start, he was crying and going, wow, that touches my heart. There's something deep here. And he, he started to go on a journey. And uh, in the process was encountering Jesus, encountering the Holy Spirit. So we're a year on now. And uh, he would openly confess uh, he's a Christian. Though that's uh, been a interesting journey for him because he's had a lot of opposition but at the same time uh, a lot of people have connected with what he's doing and met Jesus in the in the music as he's responded so he's gone from just a uh, a couple of thousand followers to well over a hundred thousand followers and a whole community has developed around him on chat rooms around it and where people who listen to his stuff and have sort of been touched by God in it get together have worship times uh, on, online, uh, discuss stuff online. And um, what, a, what a journey. It's like it just shows you God can break into someone's life and then opens up a whole network of, of people that he wants to touch and reach. And, and I've met him through uh, a contact in Germany because I've influenced a lot of people in Germany and uh, she was caught up in what was happening with Leo and introduced me to him so that I could help him and We've spoken a couple of times, uh, and I pray for him, and, and, and that's a big part of what I try to do is father people, help people as they grow in their journey and help him understand why he might get opposition, why religious people would, would uh, say, yeah, but have you got the right theology and all this stuff? And but he's so, it, there's so many people are being touched through him, and that's what God's about. That's what this passage kind of reveals. That's what the whole book of Acts reveals. We can't really look at one small passage of the book of Acts without putting it in the context of the bigger message. And that big message is Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord over all people. He's not just Lord of the Jews. Or to put that into context for us, he's not just Lord of the Christians. He's Lord of everyone. In fact, it, it yeah, Acts was seeing a cataclysmic, massive shift that God had wanted for a long time, that the gospel would no longer be bound by one cultural people, the Jews, but it would go to all people because he loves all people. And we knew that from what he said to Abraham, that he would be a blessing to all the nations. Uh, but Jesus coming, Dying and then rising from the dead begins a completely new epoch, a new time, where now all the nations are no longer, if you like, left to the mercy of other gods. 
but God has come to rule and be with them directly himself. And that's where this chapter, chapter 8, comes in, if you like. Philip has gone to Samaria. Uh, the context of this is a great persecution has broken out. Paul, or he's called Saul at this time, is persecuting a lot of Christians. And there's, there's, there's a, people are spreading out. And fantastic Philip, bless him, he decides to go to the Samaritans and um, tell them about Messiah. Now, just a little bit of context so you understand this. The Samaritans, I mean... The Samaritans, remember, you know, the parable about, about the good Samaritan. It's really hard for a Jew to believe that they can mingle them with a Samaritan or they're good. It's kind of like uh, a Christian now going to be with the Mormons or the JWs and preaching to them. They, you know, they're the dodgy people. They're, you know, they've got some stuff right, but key stuff wrong. That's who the Samaritans were. And Philip goes and preaches to them. And Jesus has said that the gospel will go to the Samaritans, to Judea, the Samaritans, and the ends of the earth. And and now it seems it's time, it's happening. Uh, and he goes and preaches and prays for the sick. And there's great joy in the city because people get healed. And now, if you like, begins the, the conflict of acts of, of reaching other cultures other than the Jews. So... If you like, they're no longer going to be trying to make people become Jews. They're going to uh, say, hey, God is with you. God wants to rule with you and be in your culture, just like with Leo. It's not like he's got to stop what he's doing and be something else. God's going to invade what is about listening to music and responding to it and and be there with him in it. That's extraordinary because, again, he's Lord of all. And if you understand that, you understand the enormity of what is going on in Acts. We know that later on, uh, you know, in Acts 17, Paul's going to end up preaching to the Greeks and then later on to the Romans. I mean, this is extraordinary. And he, and he goes, if just to, just to pull it aside a little bit so we can come back to it, Paul, when he preaches to the Greeks, he, he doesn't really quote any scripture in Acts 17. He quotes their writings. He quotes what they've written about, the, the godly stuff that's woven within their culture, and then points them to this man who is obviously now designed by the God of all to be the one who is the gateway to the Father, the gateway to God. It's proved it by raising him from the dead. And that shocks the Greeks. That's they, and he, he, he joins in with their story as the Greeks. He quotes their poetry their um, story, their unknown God, and he comes in with uh, something that they have heard about and, and are not sure about. That is the resurrection of the dead. There's much discussion about it. They have myths in their culture about it. And he joins in with that and says, it's happened. He's come. He's risen from the dead. And if that's true, that changes everything. You're no longer at the mercy of death. And the gods that rule over your culture, who threaten you with death and destruction. Jesus is Lord even of the Greeks. And he's going to come and he's going to look like a Greek and be with you. Now that, that is extraordinary. I mean, we could say it's a missionary book, Acts. But I, I'm a, I, you know, 
having been called a missionary and being in a missionary agency, I wouldn't say that. I would say Acts is just the church being church. Wherever they go, wherever Philip goes, he just can't help but joining in with the story of the people and telling them about the Messiah who is Lord. So he joins in with the Samaritans who believe in a Messiah. They are the Jews who stayed in Israel when all the other Jews were going off to captivity in Babylon. So the pure Jews, if you like, think they're, they're off and weird. But he joins in and says, hey, the Messiah that you're waiting for is come. And let me explain how he's the same and let me explain how he's the different, how he's different. And, and the, the sick are healed. There's great joy. So that's the, that's the context, if you like. And then, then we see this Simon guy who, again, it's like a hint of the powers of the, of the gods that they're, they're going to encounter, that are going to get shaken. The principalities and powers, as Paul calls them, they're going to get shaken. Because this guy is, is called great, and he has power, and he does sorcery. And, uh, you know, it's all, it's all hints of him being connected to gods, to demonic forces, to be able to do stuff. And even he, even he responds to the, the message. He believes. Now, let's, let's just get a couple of points here so we can understand eventually when we get to where this is going. Um, he believes in the name of Jesus. That is, uh, Peter, uh, Philip is telling them about who Messiah is and his nature. Because Hebraically, when you say someone's name, you don't just mean the label, because we give people labels, like I'm Paul, it's a label. It represents your nature. So he says, hey, this is Jesus. He's Messiah. This is what he's like. He's God in the flesh. And his kingdom is different from how you thought the world was run. It's different. So Simon has his own world, doesn't he? He has his own world of power where He's thought of as great. He enjoys that. He enjoys the influence of that. It's, it's his world. But he believes that Jesus is truly the one who should rule. He is Messiah. And his nature, he's, he's, he's Lord of a new kingdom. He believes that. Then when the, um, when the apostles come up to Samaria, and this is extraordinary, Given the context I've said, they, this extraordinary, that they come and they pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So the weird ones, the ones on the edge, the ones who possibly haven't got their theology all right, get filled with the Spirit. Wow. That is what Jesus promised. What was promised generation upon generation ago to the Jews, that God would pour out his Spirit on all flesh, was coming to the Samaritans. The Holy Spirit, which is, he lives in you bodily, your body becomes a temple. He breathes with you in your soul. It becomes one with you in, in spirit. In other words, you no longer need a temple. You no longer need a mountain to worship on. You are the place of worship. He's with you. He's in you. He's on you. He's through your life. Now that, Amazing promise 
is not just for the Jews. It's now for the Samaritans. And they drink of it. And they encounter it. And think of this. It's so stunning that that's what Simon is prepared to pay money to get. He's witnessed the healings that Philip has done. And that's brought much joy to the town. But when he sees the filling of the Spirit and the consequences in people's lives of that, that's when he goes to the Apostle and says, Hey, I want in on this. I want to be at the centre of this. He doesn't understand the kingdom, that it doesn't run on me being prominent and me using my money to be prominent and me having a great ministry. This is a gift to all. And that's where he gets rebuked. Now, just to just to tell a, a couple of stories, uh, just to connect in with this. When I was traveling a lot when I was younger in, in uh, with Waiwan, I was in Indonesia uh, once and running a small team on, on outreach. And I went up an, uh, a mountain on the back of a motorbike, which was the taxi that they used in uh, Bali, Indonesia. Uh, and I, I got to the top of this mountain and I was there with another guy and we were, there was a translator and we were going to meet with a farmer who wanted to hear about Jesus. He'd, he'd heard a rumor of it, but he'd never heard, he'd never heard much information. And so he traveled a long way. We, we, we got to a farm and we waited an hour for him to come because he was quite a way away and he had to stop what he was doing. And we sat and drank coffee and then this guy came and and he said, tell me what you know. So I start, you know, I, I know very little about what his background in it or background is or his culture. But I, I do my best to try and explain what has happened since Jesus has come and how it's changed everything and who he is and what it means for him. And I'm explaining this and the translators translating it. And then. As we're, as we're I'm coming to sort of the conclusion of what I'm saying, he falls to his knees, this guy, and bursts into tears, and he puts his hands in the air, and he's just streaming words. And um, it takes me a while to get the translator to explain to me, what, what's going What's he saying? What's going on? And the translator's listening. He says, shh. He's listening, shh. And um, after about two minutes, he says, okay, I can tell you. He's um, he's just had a vision of a man in white who's come to him and showed him his holes in his hands and says, I want you and I want to be with you. And he's responding to him now. And I'm going, what? what is that a, that's happening now? Is a vision? He says, yeah, that's happening now. This guy's life was completely changed. Now, I'm sure of what I said kind of helped. At least, at least I'd like to think so. <laughs> but it really, it's it's Jesus meeting him. It's not, I don't have some kind of power that I've bought with money or anything else. It's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit who's determined to meet him. It breaks in the middle of my speaking. How rude is that? Breaks in the middle of my speaking and engages this guy. And we know it was real. Because when we left Two, three weeks later, this guy had to give up his farm and go and work in the city because as soon as the nearby farmers 
who were a, a different sort of religion and hated what they'd heard about Christianity. Uh, as soon as they heard he'd, he'd responded in some way, they cut off his water supply. So he had to take himself and his whole family into the city to work. It cost him dearly. But he couldn't let go of this visionary encounter that he'd had with this one who we know as Jesus. So that's, that's the enormity of what is going on here. And that's why it's so, if you like, twisted what Simon is trying to do. He's trying to say, I, w- I want to stay in charge here. No, Jesus is Lord. He's the one who gives this thing. And to help us understand another word in this, just to get the picture clearly before we really get to the point here, and that is repentance. Uh, um, Peter says to him, you need to repent. And we, we need to understand that word. There was a, there was a debate uh, when they revised the King James Bible and they produced the revised version. There was a debate whether to change the word repentance because there was a discussion amongst many scholars that the word didn't convey what the Greek meant clearly enough. They decided in the end they would stick with repentance because it was well known enough. But one, the, pro- the main problem with the word is it's, it, it's connected to Latin, penance, which sounds like punishment. And it has this harsh tone to it. Whereas the Greek word underneath means to have a revolution in your thinking and believing. So you live from a totally different worldview. That's what metanoia really means. Paul says in Romans, the, um, the godly sorrow leads to repentance. So in other words, repentance isn't godly sorrow, but godly sorrow prompts you to repent. That is a total revelation of how you see the world works, your place in it, and therefore the kingdom. It's a total change. And Peter's saying to him, unless your understanding of how the world and reality works, about how you're not at the center of it, unless that changes, you're not going to have an inheritance in this. You need to let that go and deeply change because the other way of thinking and living is perishing and is on the way out. So what's extraordinary is that we, anyone, whatever place, whatever culture, can be filled with the Spirit when we respond and understand what the Christ has done. We live in a new age where it's no longer about Jewish culture or any culture. It's about the Holy Spirit meeting people where they're at. It's about Me going and talking to people and finding out what they've already heard about God in their upbringing and in their culture and joining in with that. Because the Holy Spirit's already there before I get there. And he has already been knocking on the door, speaking things to them so that they can respond. But it begins, as it did here in Acts 8, with, like the Samaritans, with me being absolutely filled, overflowing, in love with the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. And that requires me to let go, to repent of 
me being center and the way I thought the world works. It involves me letting go of pride and becoming humble and teachable because you can be sure, as they experience in the book of Acts, we will be constantly amazed, shocked, in wonder about what God can do. Like how God can use a guy who's just listening to music on the internet to reach tens of thousands of people. And then they somehow meet God in the middle of it. It's like God can use you in your culture. He's a God of those who go to Weight Watchers. <laughs> He's the God of accountants. He's the God of train drivers. He's the God. He's the God of every individual. And if I drink deeply of his presence, then I know what it is when I go and meet others to say, gosh, this is what the Holy Spirit does when it comes in your life. And I don't know what it'll look like exactly in you, but it's beautiful. Do you want that? That's, I think, the heart of what God wants us to get out of these few verses that Luke wrote down with great care so that we would be inspired and see, wow, he truly does want to pour his spirit out on all flesh. That includes me. That includes you. So I, I, I am asking us to afresh go, Lord, you know, I, I understand your kingdom a bit, but I'm sure there's loads more to shock and amaze me. The way you work will shock and amaze me. I don't hold all the knowledge of all the truth. I come humbly to let you build your church. That's crucial, isn't it? We don't build the church. He builds his church. It's not my church. It's not Christianity as I see it. It's how he sees it. What do you want to do in me and through me? And we come as much as we can every day with a clean sheet of paper and say, Holy Spirit, what do we do today? Like now, Holy Spirit, what do we do this Sunday? What do you want to say to me and do through me and, and interact with me now in? So let me pray. Let us, if, if something has touched you, if the Holy Spirit's sitting next to you and sitting in you and being over you has touched something, open that part of you to him. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you, like, even like Simon prayed, and we wouldn't be so proud as to think that we couldn't be like him. We can make our lives all about us. Lord, would you challenge the foundations where we're on rocky foundation, where we're shaky, where we're not in line with the kingdom? Would you come and love us, fill us? If you like, be one with us in spirit now. Breathe with us now, even as we breathe. And even be in our bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit. That we can live extraordinarily 
with you on us. Such that people like Simon will go, wow, that's extraordinary. But that's not why we do it. We do it to enjoy intimacy with you because that's what you've wanted and that's what you've come to start and finish amongst us. Wow. Holy Spirit, be with us as we eat our Sunday lunch and as we talk and as we laugh and as we cry and as we argue. Be with us. (laughs) Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, Amen.